Welcome to another episode of the Sports Mecca Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Abramo. As always, I'm joined by my partner, Sam Hengeli. Today, we are breaking down the crazy 2021-22 men's college basketball season so far. To give us an inside look at the sport as a whole, we brought in former college coach and current ESPN analyst and broadcaster, Chris Spatola. Chris, thanks for coming on. We appreciate the time today. My pleasure, guys. Great to see you. Uh, thanks for, for inviting me on. For sure. We'll really start this college basketball edition podcast by asking you, Chris, what your thoughts on the season so far. It feels like there's been a lot of up and down teams. Feels like there's really not any truly elite team this season. Feels like there's a lot of good teams. Uh, would you agree with that? Yeah, I, yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I mean, look, it's it's certainly relative to last year. Easy to say that there's you know not as much separation between one or two teams in the rest of of the field uh, like it was with Gonzaga and Baylor. So I, I think it's certainly the world's a little bit more flat there. You know, I'm never a believer that there's 50 teams that could win the national championship, but I, I think this year there's certainly 15 to 20 that that you could make a compelling argument for at least at this point. Um, and I think the quality is better. You know, it's, it's hard to quantify that. And even when you dive into the numbers, I don't know if they're necessarily indicative of, of necessarily how much better this year is versus last year. But I just think when you look at, uh, you know, where teams are at at this point in the season versus where, you know, in my judgment, they typically are. Uh, I think the fact that these rosters are older you know, certainly in a league that that I cover a, quite a bit in the Big 12, um, you know, the ability, I think teams are ahead defensively of where they typically are. So I, yeah, I think, I think the quality is, is certainly better this year. First off, you know, you mentioned the Big 12. Big 12, it's a gauntlet defensively, really, really hard to score. You know, Gonzaga, Baylor competed in the national championship last year. Baylor, they've lost a few games to start conference play doesn't seem like they're as sharp as they were a year ago, but would you say Gonzaga is the best team in the country with the number one ranking? You know, would you say Auburn? To me, the best team is Purdue and, and they've been the best team. You know, I was up in studio up in Bristol uh, during feast week. And I, I said at the time, I thought Purdue was the best team. And I'm not, I'm not saying that here today in January to you guys. Uh, to confirm my bias, I, I, I just still believe that. And I think sometimes, you know, when a team loses, we, we have, you know, a lot often a, a knee-jerk reaction uh, that, that, you know, all of a sudden now that can't be the best team anymore. And I, I, just, I just don't think that. I think they're, they're obviously their size up front is very unique. I think their, their depth overall, you know, if certain guys aren't playing as well, they've got other guys who could step into that void. And they have a special player. Like, I think any good team has to have a special player um, and they, they certainly have a, a pro in Jaden Ivey. Um, and then you can certainly make the, the characterization of, of uh, Trevion Williams and Zach Eady as special as well. So they're, they're really good, but that's not to slight. I mean, I think Gonzaga is, is obviously going to be there at the end. We saw them in the non-conference and got a pretty good assessment of them. You know, you mentioned Auburn. Like Auburn is, is a double overtime loss away from being undefeated. You know, they lost down in Atlantis to Connecticut. If they win that game, they're undefeated. And I think we'd be talking about them 
uh, differently than we have up to this point if, if they had a zero in the loss, loss column as opposed to a one. All those teams you've mentioned, uh, I think, are very good. So it's, yeah, I mean, I think it, it makes it uh, this year, it's a lot more beauty is in the eye of the beholder than it was last season. Trayvon Williams probably is the best sixth man in college basketball. I mean, I would say every single team would be loving to start Trevion Williams for their team. Um, but, you know, he's coming off the bench and just a really loaded roster. You mentioned Jay and Ivy, Jabari Smith. You said that that dominant prospect, dominant figure for Auburn. Give me a team you've been disappointed with. Give me a player that you have been disappointed with this season that you, you had higher hopes for. Yeah, I mean, look, it, you can go up and down the Atlantic Coast Conference, to be honest with you. Uh, there, there's a whole host of teams in there that, that I, I thought were going to be better than they, they have been. I think Carolina will continue to get better. Um, but, you know, losing the way they did the other night to Miami was a little bit odd. Um, a team I'm, I'm covering this weekend in Louisville has been, I think, disappointing. Um, but, you know, part of that is maybe we project these teams to be better than they really were going to end up being because they've got new personnel and, and you don't really know, uh, you don't really know how those transfers and new and new pieces are, are, are going to pan out. There's take your pick in that Atlanta coast conference. I think there's been um, a, a host of disappointments in there, but you know, and as far as players, I mean, there's not really a, a guy that, that you could, you could sort of zero in on as, as being overall disappointing, but um, yeah, I don't know if there's one guy I would, I would pick out as, as somebody who's underwhelmed. Right. So speaking of, you know, I asked you the question of underwhelming players, let's focus on players that have impressed impressed enough where they can be in the national player of the year conversation, you know, this year, I mean, you had Luca Garza last season. I feel this year is the depth is much more open. I feel like it's not just one guy you can zone in on. I feel like there's maybe five or five to seven guys, you know, Johnny Davis from Wisconsin, Ochai Baji, Kansas. Maybe if he has, if he plays well continually for Ohio state, EJ Liddell, you got Kofi Coburn, Oscar Toshibwe. You know, is there another guy that you would throw in the mix for national player of the year? Or would you, would you mention the guys that I just mentioned uh, as the front runner? Yeah, I, I think you, I think you really did hit on probably all of those, those front runners, you know, I think. Um, and again, it, it depends on what you value. Like I, I think Davis has, you know, first of all, his improvement from last year to this year, I mean, he's a completely different player. He, he's revolutionized a Wisconsin team that talk about underwhelming was very underwhelming last year, uh, underachieved, frankly, given that how old they were and the success they had had the year prior. Um, he, he's really galvanized that team um, and, and is that sort of special player that I was mentioning that can have such an impact. But yeah, I mean, Sheboy's numbers are, are ridiculous. I think Drew Timmy, I would throw him into that conversation. And I think we lose sight of um, not just Gonzaga as a team, but, but what guys are doing individually for Gonzaga when they go into conference play. Uh, you know, Ochai Abaji from day one. I mean, the thing that I value, guys, is, is consistency. And, and I know certain guys come on at certain points of the season. But one of the things I really value is a guy who's been there from day one. And that's you know, obviously, Abaji has been that guy. You go back to the first game of the season at the Champions Classic against Michigan State. Uh, so I, I would certainly throw him in there. You know, that's the other thing about the Big 12. It's the best conference. And yet, you know, you kind of have to plug 
Abaji into that conversation, right? Because it's not this overwhelming deal. I think those teams are in the Big 12 are more a, a, a product of the sum as a verse versus the individual parts. But um, but yeah, I think you hit uh, many of the headliners there. Yes, uh, Chris, uh, welcome to the show. Um, I want to talk about my uh, Kansas Jayhawks right now. They're 15 and two, uh, first place in the uh, Big 12 right now. Team has not really hit their full potential. One of the guys I want to talk about with you is Remy Martin. He's really, he had that knee injury, has really struggled. There were rumors Saturday that he was out for the year, not because of his knee, but uh, there are some tensions between him and uh, Coach Self right now. Uh, what, do you, what are your thoughts on Remy Martin this season and uh, how important is it for him to get going for, in order for Katie to possibly make a run on a championship this year? Yeah, I mean, to the first part about the the tension, you know, I, I've done maybe more Kansas games than any analyst. I, mean, I've, I think I've done about six Kansas games this year, and I've seen them early. I saw them early in the year. I saw them in that tournament in Orlando. You, you know, I, I would say two things. First of all, Remy Martin needs Coach Self a lot more than Coach Self needs Remy Martin. You know, so I, I don't know where that tension would be coming from because I, again, I've been on the ground there uh, observing practice. I've, I've uh, been up close doing their games. And I, I, I give coach self a lot of credit with the way he's handled Remy. You know, there, there's really, there's no, there's no concessions given by, by coach self. There's a standard. And if you're going to meet it, if you're not going to meet it, you're not going to play. If you are, if you are willing to meet it, then you are going to play. And because of their depth, he has the ability to, to, to hold that leverage over a player. I mean, that's, you know, that's one of the advantages he has this year as a coach. Now, in terms of the kid himself, look, there was going to be a big adjustment. I mean, we've seen it with Marcus Carr at Texas. It's the same idea. You know, a James Akinjo, who goes from, obviously, Georgetown to Arizona now at Baylor, he's better than those other two guys. He was a guy that just needed some tweaking, some tightening. But once he got the right fit, he was going to be really good. In the case of Martin and Marcus Carr, like those two guys had to reinvent themselves as players because a lot of the numbers they put up in their previous stops, they were compiled. They were compiling numbers on teams that did not win. So all of a sudden now you're coming to a program in Kansas who has a higher standard. They have a winning standard. And so Remy was always going to have to adjust the way that he played. Now, I think he's gone, you know, strongly in the other direction. I think there's a happy medium. Uh, and it's been my hope from early in this season that he figures that out. But if, if figuring that out has led to whatever, you know, tension you're talking about, then I, I think that's more on player than coach, but there's no question they need him. If Kansas is going to make, you know, reach their potential, Remy Martin being a good player for them, a meaningful player for them is a big part of that. Yeah, absolutely. Remy, he's got that killer instinct. This guy, he's a guy who can take over late in games. Uh, I was there, uh, Stephen F. Austin game, Abaji and McCormick were completely struggling, but Martin was able to come through, hit some clutch free throws, and then hit the dagger to win that game and avoid the uh, upset to Stephen F. Austin. And also, I think with Remy, too, I think he the pace of KU goes so much faster with him, especially with Jalen Wilson on the floor. And I think speeding up that tempo in a Big 12 where there's a lot of teams that are defensively and play a slower tempo, I think KU – needs Remy in order to be able to play at that pace. And, and if they do face Gonzaga, Gonzaga plays at such a fast pace too, that they can keep up with uh, Gonzaga as well. Kansas has been really good at times this year and really, really tough to guard. 
you know, they need to get more from their front line. You know, I've been very vocal uh, about David McCormick. Like he needs to play better. He's a 22 year old senior who's played a lot of basketball. Like he needs to be more consistent and uh, look, we're not asking for 20 and 10 every game, but you know, be the same guy every game, you know, and we know when he plays well, he can be very, very good. Well, he's got to, he's got to reach that potential every night out because that's the ceiling for Kansas. It's with David McCormick. That's not a slight to Mitch Lightfoot, but you're, you're, you're better if Mitch Lightfoot is coming off of your bench as your backup big. So I think they need to get more out of their front line. It puts a lot of stress on their perimeter defense. If those two guys aren't right on the back end of their defense, but I mean, that team is, is loaded. And, and I don't even think we've seen the full brunt, you know, like Jalen Coleman lands. I think there's still more there from a guy like that, you know, certainly perimeter shooting. They've got to get a third score. And that's where everybody assumed it was going to be Remy Martin. You know, Christian Brown's having a phenomenal season. So is Abaji, but those guys aren't necessarily creators. You know, they aren't necessarily finishers at the rim. Those guys are playoff types of guys, be it in transition or be it in the half court which means they're easy to take out at times. And, and so if you really concentrate, uh, but in order to do that, you've got, you know, there's more space on the floor. So who's going to step into that void. And I think they're searching for that third guy. Yeah. Um, hope, hopefully it's uh, Remy Martin. Who pro- I would guess would be that end up being that guy. Hopefully um, I want to go to another team in the big 12, uh, Texas Longhorns, uh, Chris Beard's first year. There, they're right now. They're thirteen and five, three and three, coming off a loss against uh, Kansas State a couple of days ago. Um, what's been the main issue there, and is it is it a fair argument to say that Chris Beard may be overrated right now as a coach? I don't think it's fair to say he's overrated. Um, part of what Texas Tech is doing this year is is certainly a holdover, and I know Mark Adams was his assistant, but. <laughs> You know, this was a, a pro. I mean, he had that that team in a in a title game, basically a shot or two away from winning a national championship two years ago. So I think overrated is a strong word. But I think what you realize is, and he got this great reputation as being able to hit the transfer market and then get those guys to produce right away. And I think what you're finding is it's even if you have a guy like beard, it's not a magic serum, you know, to just have that guy as your head coach and he's going to be able to take whatever transfers he can get and then mold them into a team that's going to win. I don't think the pieces fit all that well there. Um, you know, again, I think Marcus Carr is, you know, he hasn't really had the trajectory that Mac McClung had last year. It, you know, I was making that comparison early when people were getting down on Carr. And say, look, give it time. Remember, it took Mac McClung a little bit to get going, but but Marcus Carr's got to play better. You know, uh, Timmy Allen ha- hasn't been great. You know, Trey Mitchell has not been, I think, as good as people thought. They're not that athletic a team, which is which is fine. But in the Big Twelve, if you're if you're not that athletic, then you, you've got to be incredibly physical. And I don't think they're really either of those. And so, you know, their defense hasn't been quite as good, and they haven't been able to execute offensively again, because I don't think the pieces fit all that well together. Uh, so they haven't been able to execute as well offensively as I think people assumed that they would. So it's look, it's still a work in progress. And, and, you know, I, I still am of the belief that Beard's a heck of a coach, mm-hmm. but it's, it's not as easy as he has made it look or, or as easy as he made it look at Texas tech. Yeah. I'll give Beard the benefit of the doubt. I think he'll eventually get Texas, Texas going. Um, 
Do you think right now, would you consider Texas being on the bubble? I don't, I believe they're going to still make the NCAA tournament, but uh, what seed do you think they could possibly be their ceiling right now? Seeding, it's, 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 it's hard to know. I, I will say this, you know, the fortune of being in the Big 12 is that you basically have a resume game every night you strap it up. You know, part of the problem with some of these other leagues is when you don't have a great non-conference schedule as on the whole as a league, and some of these leagues have gone to 20 games, the, the only opportunity you have to improve your tournament resume is by beating the best team in your league. Like, for example, in the, in the ACC, the only real resume win in that league right now is to beat Duke. That's it. In the Big 12, you know, the fact that they – you know, beat Oklahoma, they've beaten West Virginia, you know, they don't have a great resume, but they're playing in a league where, you know, again, they're going to be able to accrue even in losses. Like I was reading something the other day that losing to K state ended up somehow in some convoluted way, giving them a net one, uh, a quad one win. So, I mean, that's crazy. And it speaks to the strength of the league. So to, to answer your question, I, you know, I don't know what seed they'll end up being, but I am of the belief that, uh, they are absolutely still in the mix to be a tournament team. I think that league could get eight teams in. I mean, eight out of the 10 teams in a league could play in the NCAA tournament. That's wild to me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think I think eight can definitely get in. Or seven for sure are guaranteed, but eight, eight possibly. Would you say, so would you say TCU would be the last team from the Big 12 to get in right now? Well, probably, probably, uh, well, K-State, you know, got that win the other night. Yeah, I mean, TCU just beat K-State. Um, I actually did that game. So, I, I, you know, I, you know, again, it's so, it's so early. It's hard, to, it's hard to do the tournament thing this early. But, you know, I, I think K-State, TCU are, are, you know, based on what I've seen of the other teams in that league, I think are probably going to be the two towards the end fighting to get in. Yeah, so my ne next question, I want to talk about Texas Tech. Mark Adams has done a really good job this year. They're playing really well, arguably the best defensive team in the country and a contender right now for the Big 12. Uh, where, where is uh, Texas Tech ceiling right now? And do, you, do you see them possibly making a deep tournament run this year? I do see that, yeah. I mean, they absolutely pounded Iowa State the other night. The score was not indicative of of really how well Texas Tech played in that game. Uh, they are incredibly physical. They're very athletic, uh, and they are so connected defensively. They're the best defensive team in the country, in my estimation, at this point. From, from all the teams I've seen, they are the best defensive team. So there's no question uh, a team that, that is that good on that end could make a deep tournament run. And the crazy thing, guys, is, you know, they finally have their full complement of players. They, they played a number of games without Kevin McCuller, who's their heart and soul, and TJ Shannon, who's like heart and soul part B. They played a lot of games without those guys. I mean, they were able to beat Kansas without those guys. They beat Baylor without Shannon, and McCuller was on one leg. Uh, and then now they've got those guys back. Shannon hasn't played great yet because uh, he's kind of working his way back in, but he's only going to get better. So now that they've got their full complement, um, I think the ceiling for that team is we haven't even seen it yet. I think they're just scratching the surface. I, I could not think more highly of that team. Yeah, absolutely. Texas Tech, like they really do a good job really packing the lane and they take a lot of charges. So not just that they're playing good defense, but they're forcing other guys to get in foul trouble too because of the offensive fouls that end up racking up. They're, they're definitely a very uh, tough basketball team. 
So my, my next question will go to the ACC. I want to talk about North Carolina for a moment. Uh, yeah. North Carolina right now, since the 2019 season, since they lost to Auburn, they've struggled. They've, their program's definitely dropped off quite a bit with Roy, Roy Williams retiring recently. Now, Hubert Davis there. Right now, they're 12-5, which is pretty decent, 4-2, and two, a good spot to be in right now. But it feels like things have just haven't been the same for a North Carolina in your mind, uh, what's gone wrong in Chapel Hill? And do you see Hubert Davis as the uh, long-term solution for North Carolina? Yeah, I mean, I, look, I don't know long-term. I, I, I certainly think he was a, a terrific hire. I was never of the belief that they were a top 15 team coming in um, for a couple of reasons. I mean, first of all, like Roy Williams is a Hall of Famer for a reason. You know, he, he's one of the best to do it in, in, in college basketball. You know, you can't, you don't just lose a guy and all of a sudden you, you keep the train rolling. It just doesn't happen that way. It's going to be the same thing at Duke, you know, as well as, as Duke has recruited this year and as, as, you know, as loaded a roster as they may have next year, it's not going to be the same. I mean, you don't have coach K anymore. It's the same thing at Carolina. They changed how they they're, they're playing. You know, they used to play two bigs up front and, and really want to mash you on the glass and. Uh, you know, played a lot of high, low, that kind of stuff. They're not doing that anymore. They're spacing the floor, four out, one in, you know, more of this modern version of basketball. That was always going to be an adjustment. From a basketball standpoint, they're not guarding. You know, they're, they're just not defending with an urgency that you have to defend with. And I do a radio show on, on Sirius XM 371 every day, ACC radio on Sirius XM. And we were talking about this yesterday, me and Dallin Cuff. After, after Hubert Davis got his first win this year, there was, there was um, an audio tape of what he said to the team in the locker room after the game. And he said to the team, he goes, sometimes I feel like I want it more than you guys do. It's a perfect explanation of what's going on now here in January. Like, I think at times there's an apathy that sets in with that team, particularly on the defensive end, that you know, th that inhibits them. And we saw it against Miami the other night. I mean, they got drugged by Miami in Coral Gables. That game was over in the first two minutes and there was no fight to try to get back into that game. Nobody like said, Hey, let's go. We got to start playing. So I, you know, there's an emotional element with that team. And then I think schematically they're just, you know, they're trying to figure out, you know, how to play under this new head coach and, and in this new system. Yeah. Yeah, ab absolutely. Yeah. Uh... I want to talk about one Cinderella team right now that I, I think could be a Cinderella team, I should say. Uh, and that, that's Iona, Rick Pitino, back in the coaching, one of the best coaches in the history of college basketball. Right now, they're 15-3, and currently 7-0 in the uh, MAAC conference. Uh, do you see them as a possible Cinderella team in March? And if they do make a run, let's say they get to the Elite Eight or maybe even the Final Four, how does this help Rick Pitino's legacy considering the fact that uh, what happened at Louisville was, was ugly, that he was able to get that redemption and uh, lead a program like Iona to the final four or the elite eight. Yeah. Look, I, I don't think the way that it ended at Louisville was an indictment of how Patino is as a basketball coach. Nobody's ever doubted how good he is as a basketball coach. I mean, look, they made the tournament last year. They, they won the Mac championship and played in the tournament last year, you know? So uh, nobody's doubted that, you know, he was let go at, at Louisville because of all the NCAA and off the, off the court stuff, you know, and, and people can have their opinions of that, but yeah, I mean, they're good. I, I actually saw them down in Orlando early in the year 
Um, I had them against Kansas. Uh, they, you know, they play Kansas in that game. You know, they've got some new pieces too. They, they had two guards last year, a kid named Isaiah Ross and another one named uh, Asante Gist, who were really ball dominant guards and were really terrific players. And, and they lost both of those guys and they were left with a really talented sophomore center, a kid named Nelly Jr. Joseph, who's going to play in the NBA at some point, uh, who's really, really good, having a good season. Uh, they got a transfer from Louisville, a kid named Quinn Slazinski. Um, a, another transfer, a kid named Tyson Jolly. You know, again, it's like everybody else. It's They're trying, I think, to figure out these pieces. And, and that Rick Patino system, it's an acquired taste. Like, you don't just pick it up by walking through the doors. You know, it takes a minute to understand defensively what Patino's doing. They weren't, they certainly weren't a fully formed product early in the year, but they are starting to play better. I think they're going to win that league. I think they will be in the tournament again. And, um, and they're, they're riding, you know, largely on the backs of, of Nelly Jr. Joseph, who's, who's having a very good year and is a good player. Yeah, absolutely. I would, I would love to see uh, Rick Bettino make a deep run. I really, I've always been a fan of him. I always, en- I enjoyed those Louisville teams, especially that the 2013 team with Peyton Siva, Gorgie Jang, Russ Smith, and Rick Bettino has been always been a guy that develops talent. Like he doesn't, Usually some of his best players, like Russ Smith, for an example, only didn't really play that much as a freshman and then developed over time that became an All-American. So I think him being at Iona is kind of a perfect fit for him to be because he could get like four-year guys and just slowly develop them and not have to worry about having one and dones. He's a heck of a coach. You know, he's a heck of a coach. And I I have, you know, my opinions of, of what went down at Louisville. You know, I think he left the school with no choice. Uh, the decision to fire him, I think most schools would have made the same decision. You know, I wondered, you know, about the decision by uh, Iona to hire somebody like that who had gone out the way he did at Louisville. But they wanted to win. They wanted to win at, at basketball. And whether or not I philosophically agree with that, uh, if you want to win, that's one of those guys, you know, that, that is going to do it. He's, he's one of those guys that, you know, he's going to create a, a program that will win. And he's done that at, at Iona. Talk about the transfer portal. Um, how does the, how has that uh, helped college basketball and what does that do for the future of the game? You know, I actually think it ends up being good for basketball. Uh, and I think coaches are starting to realize that now they may not voice that opinion out loud or at dinner parties, but I think in their heart of hearts, they are starting to understand a couple things. First of all, you can turn your program program around pretty quickly. I mean, look what Iowa State has done from last season to this season. That team won two games last year, and they're a top 20 team right now. I mean, that's a pretty good deal, you know, if you're a coach. Because, you know, under normal circumstances, when, trans, when you had to go to the high school market, it was a much longer slog to turn a program around. The other thing I think that that the sport is realizing is you can get a fan base back pretty quickly, you, you know, like the 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 buzz that it is generating both in season, but also out of season. You know, one of the things that the NBA, nobody cares much about the regular season anymore, but everybody loves free agency. And, you know, hot stove baseball has always been a commodity. It's always been something that people tracked and love to follow. My big thing is we got to keep good players in the game. And if that means a player has to transfer as opposed to leaving to go to the NBA before he should, then let him transfer. You know, let's keep him in the game 
And, you know, now you get a, a fan base like an Iowa State that is a great fan base, but the program hasn't been good. College basketball is better if that, if that program is good. You, you know what I mean? And so that's where I think the transfer, we're so cynical about it. And I do think there's a cultural conversation to be had. You know, why are younger people transferring more? Why, why is this happening? That's fine. Let's have that conversation. But don't conflate the cultural part of this with the strategic part of it and with the entertainment part of it. Because I think there's something to be said in the positive in both of those areas. And I think coaches are starting to come around to that position. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do like the uh, transfer portal. I think it's a, I think it makes the game a lot more exciting, you know, and it helps you build your teams a lot quicker. And, and also like, sometimes you get these like freshmen that come in and like some of these guys who are one and done there, you don't know what you're going to get from them most of the time, at least with the transfer portal, you've seen some guys play in the college game. And they have that experience of being in college basketball and, and it might, it might be easier to, tell which guy you're going to get sometimes in my opinion. Yeah, no, no question about it. And I, I, that's why I think the other part of it is, you know, coaches going after guys who fit their programs and identities. It's not just going in there and, and finding, and that's where Remy Martin's, a, you know, a decent example. Like I think coach self went in there and he took some <laughs> of the best available guys, you know, be it a, a Remy Martin or a Jalen Coleman lands or, or a Joseph Yesifu as opposed to some other coaches who are going in there and saying, okay, what guy fits what we are trying to do here. Mm -hmm. And I think we're starting to see more of that philosophically from coaches. The transfer portal is a great also just way for players to develop. We've mentioned Candace a few times, but you know, I'll mention it again, Quentin Grimes, former Jayhawk ended up getting drafted in this past draft. I think that was able his ability to go and develop his game at Houston, I think was able to really improve his draft stock. If he would have had maybe the ability to, to play as a top pick or really a go-to scorer at Kansas, because it just didn't work out after his freshman year, but when he went to Houston, he was really able to to really take his game to the next level. Um, Chris, do you have any any other bold predictions? Anything that you want to say about college basketball the sport of college basketball before we let you go no i no i'm not a i'm not a bold prediction guy uh, i think i think it's been um i think it's been a really really entertaining season so, so far you know the thing i'm interested about is is sort of how these conference races unfold over the course of the month of february and the one you know the one thing about college basketball guys i know you know this you know it, it's it's unlike college football it's a it's a it's a sport where you can get better by losing. And so I think we're, we're going to see some teams in the month of February who have learned from some of these early losses and get better. I mean, it happens every year. So it's, it should be a fun, fun uh, end to the season. Well, one last thing I was thinking of uh, for you, you know, as a broadcaster, how does it feel broadcasting these games with fans back in the stands, you know, and then, you know, last season, all you saw were, for the, I mean, there were there were teams that put fans, but most of the season you had you had cardboard cutouts. Uh, so just talk about a little bit of the the differences of that and just how it feels to see people in the stands again. 
Yeah. And I would start, you know, just from a broadcasting standpoint, we did a lot of games at home last year. I was in my basement calling games. So first and foremost, it's great to just be back out on the road in buildings, talking to coaches in person, uh, seeing players up close, you know, being courtside. There's a lot you miss not being courtside. So um, to be back in buildings as, as a broadcaster has been terrific. Look, you cannot quantify what fans mean to not only the sport of college basketball, but to a broadcast, um, especially, you know, good arenas. Like I was in Kansas. I was at Kansas, Missouri. That was the loudest. And, and I coached at Duke. So I've been in a lot of games at Cameron. I've been in a lot of loud games. I've been in at Carolina Duke, some hellacious games. Building is loud. That Kansas, Missouri game I was at this year might be the loudest I've ever venue I've ever been in. Uh, it was phenomenal. And, and you again, you can't. You, you can't quantify that. It just, it, it speaks for itself. And, and so to, to, you know, not just have it for the sport, for fans to get back in buildings, to see their teams, but uh, for these broadcasts, you know, to have that natural sound, that crowd sound and, and have it be not piped in this year is uh, it's been pretty, pretty awesome. Chris, do you have any social media accounts that you'd like to promote? Yeah. You know, I, my Instagram, I, I Instagram a lot, you know, I put a lot more stuff on there. I, I, um, I, I, I tend to gravitate more to Instagram. I think it's a friendlier place at least than, uh, than Twitter. So I'm, I'm at the Chris Spatola on Instagram. And then I, I do have a Twitter account. I'll tweet from there every once in a while, uh, Chris underscore Spatola. So uh, yeah, man, check, check it out. People can, uh, can check me out on both of those places. Right, Chris, uh, before we let you go, I, we've asked Kyle Guidas, we asked Scott Pollard this question. If you had to uh, give one advice, words of wisdom to any uh Hooper out there, whether they're trying to make their varsity squad, trying to get a college scholarship, or maybe even make it to the pros. Uh, what, uh, what advice would you give from your uh, playing experience to that person? Always ask yourself, would I want to be my teammate? I think any player, frankly, anybody who's in business or anybody who works for a company or, you know, and, and this was, I went to the United States Military Academy and this was, you know, something I used to tell my, my soldiers when I got into the active army, like, Ask yourself daily, would I want to be my teammate? And if the answer is no, then you need to change. Uh, you know, then it becomes about you. So I, I think being conscious of, of, of how you are as a teammate every single day, um, and, and there's a lot that goes into being a good teammate, uh, but I think if you start from the premise of, would I like myself as if, if I were my teammate, would I want to be my teammate? I, I think that's a, that's a good place to start. That's awesome. I, lo I love that. I love that at all. And uh, we want to also want to thank you for your uh, military service and for your service to our country. We really love and appreciate that as as well. And uh, we really enjoy your uh, time. And also, I really enjoy your, listening to you on every broadcast. You bring a lot of great depth to the game of basketball. I appreciate that. I appreciate it. It's great to, to talk to both of you guys. Thanks for uh, for asking me to do this. Could it be you calling me down? For those who are listening to our show for the first time, all our past and future episodes are available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Also, make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at The Sports Mecca.